Before we get started, ESPN, in partnership with Peyton Manning's Omaha Productions, presents Kyle Brandt's Basement, led by NFL Network's Good Morning Football host, Kyle Brandt. Every Sunday through Thursday, the show explores the ins and outs of the NFL through lively guest interviews, including Bill's QB, Josh Allen, every Tuesday, and also inventive segments unique to Brandt to bring fans closer to the action on and off the field. That's Kyle Brandt's Basement. Listen where you are listening to this podcast. I guess uh, first question's got to be about uh, <laughs> the heavyweight fight. So I guess I'll jump right into that. This is for the official heavyweight title. John Jones was literally ready to fight anybody. He, he didn't care who it was. And we could have done a fight with John back in, you know, October, November, December. Uh, Cyril Gaon is a heavyweight that moves like a, you know, like a middleweight. Um, he's got a really well-rounded game. And, uh, you know, John Jones is, is the best to ever do it, in my opinion. So uh, you, you couldn't ask for a better fight. I'm really fan of every sport in the MMA. And when you look at a guy like John Jones with a well-wandered like this, you really appreciate So that's why. And he's a GOAT. He's a GOAT. Look, look at his career. So, yes, today I'm a young fighter. And I think it's the dream of every young fighter fight against a GOAT. This is really crazy for me, really. What's up, guys? Welcome to a brand new episode of DC and RC. I'm Daniel Cormier. That is the surprise, Ryan Clark over there. The big news was dropped last week in Ryan Clark. John Jones is back. He's taking on Cyril Gaon. We also preview UFC 283 today, and we tap in the tap out. But, Ryan, before we can do anything, we got to talk about Dana White and the announcement last weekend that John Jones is back fighting for the undisputed heavyweight championship of the world. But, RC, listen to this. Dana wasn't the first person to announce that fight. The T-Mobile Arena accidentally put the picture up while the UFC event was going on last weekend. So they, got, they undercut Dana White. So when Dana got to the, broad, to, the, to the post-press conference, he said, well, I guess you want to know about the fight. He goes on to announce that fight. How excited are you? that Jones is back and he's fighting Surreal Gone. First off, I'm not absolutely convinced Dana didn't allow that leak at the T-Mobile <laughs> Arena. I mean, that's very good promotion, but I'm excited about it. Honestly, you're excited that John Jones is finally getting back into the octagon, and when you think about a stylistic matchup against someone like Surreal Gone, you think about the way that he can move around the ring, kind of the generalship of move around the octagon, his, his generalship of understanding cutting off space and also using his length. It's almost the perfect fight for John Jones when he starts his heavyweight tenure. I'm excited to see how he carries the weight, but also how he handles the pressure of a heavyweight, how he handles the weight up against the cage. And so this is extremely exciting. And whenever John Jones came back to fighting, we were going to be happy, right? We were going to be excited to see him again. You heard goat, 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 goat being used when talked about when talking about John Jones. But this is a new adventure to, for him. This is a new challenge. And so how does John Jones stand up against the bigger, stronger fighter that can also move like a heavyweight if you listen, I mean a middleweight, if you listen to what Dana White said. So DC, I'm excited. What was your first thought when you saw this fight announced and what did you think about the matchup? You know, RC, I, I'm very excited about the matchup and 
Maybe Dana let T-Mobile uh, break it just like y'all got the bout board one time when y'all did the interview for a pivot. So my boy's kind of slipping lately, dog. I don't understand what's <laughs> going on. My boy's like slipping on his pimping right now. But RC, you asked me if I was surprised. Not necessarily. Let's take a listen back to something I said all the way back in 2021. Take a listen. RC, you asked me who can beat Cyril Gannon right now. I'm not certain. You know who I do believe has the best chance to beat him? And this gets crazy Who's coming that? for me. John Jones. John Jones. John Jones Whoa. is the guy that will present the most problems to Cyril Gon. Why? Because John Jones has fought at 205. John Jones has skill of a little guy. John Jones has seen athletes before. John Jones beat me twice. I'm an athlete. Right? He's seen the speed. Mm -hmm. He's seen the foot movement and the angles. He's had to deal with guys like that before. Now, can he handle that at a weight class above? I don't know. But I truly believe mm -hmm. that Jones is one of the guys that truly can give Cyril Gon problems. I mean, I mean, RC, we were a month into doing the show, and I was putting you on game. Like, I was putting you on game. Well, right DC, now. here's the other thing. I don't have to thing. teach you no more. DC, it took two years for it to happen. It's now 2023. <laughs> That's first and foremost. And you were wrong about this. You said that John Jones would give Cyril Gaon the biggest challenge. And the reason you were saying that, because at the time, mm -hmm. you mm -hmm. said Cyril Gaon would beat Francis Ngannou. So no, let's no, no, not no. I never said that. I never said that. I never said that. I was just high on him because he had fought so well. I never said he was going to beat Francis. DC, you did say that. You, that's why we got to the point where you said the guy that presented the biggest challenge was John Jones because you had totally taken Cyril Gaon and gave him the championship by beating Francis Ngannou. And what did we learn? See, Francis Ngannou can wrestle. So with that being said, DC, when we think about John Jones' total game, the way that he can fight on his feet, the way that we've seen him take guys like Chell Sonnen who make their money on the ground grappling and submit them. Do you think John Jones uses his well-rounded game to maybe put Cyril Gaon in a quandary of figuring out how he'll be attacked? You see, you see, this is the thing, though, RC. Put him on the screen. This is the thing, RC. Back in the day, a month into the show, you would have never questioned me. You would have never came back at me like that with that friend. You see, you respected me back in the day. Now you know too much. You actually know too much, so you're like, nah, we only got here because you was trying to say Francis <laughs> was going to lose to Zero God. <laughs> also, too, DC, I will say this. I was looking at the date. I was working on Yanka's birthday. That was my wife's birthday. <laughs> oh. That's how dedicated I have been to this show since it started. I just want to put that out there. You know, RC, you have been commitment. You have been committed, and I love how you are. Been, and I love how much you've learned and For really sure. embraced the sport. But let's get back on task. John Jones presents a ton of problems for anybody that he fights because of his length. But Cyril Gan has a lot of the same qualities that Jones has in the octagon. And I'll tell you this right now, RC. John Jones, for as talented as he is, he can be a bit flat-footed. Cyril Gan's a guy that bounces around the octagon and he moves exceedingly well for his size. He also is a guy that is willing to stand and fight if he needs to. It's a very difficult fight for John Jones. But for me, the one thing that comes into question, 
is the size of Cyril Gahn. Yes. He's the same height as Jones. Reach almost equal. He has that ability to move and be pretty. But he's also been in there fighting the best fighters in the world more recently. John Jones has not been in the octagon for, what, two and a half, almost three years? Yes. The last time he fought was against uh, Dominic, uh, Dominic Reyes. Reyes, who at this point, Dominic Reyes is almost on his way out of the game with the way that his latest performances have been. So does ring rust play a factor into J Hey, RC, as washed up as I am, I fought more recently than John Jones. <laughs> hey, you know me. I'm barbecue sauce, dog. I fought more recently than this dude. Does ring rust play a factor? <laughs> I mean, DC, honestly, you would know better than I would, but here's the thing. That's all the things that makes this fight intriguing. That's the reason you don't put John Jones in the octagon with a middle-level heavyweight. You get him right away yep. with one of the best in the entire world who we've, who we've seen fight the best at the heavyweight division, and now you test him. You test John Jones right out of the gate, and I think he's earned that. I believe he deserves that when Cyril Gahn talks about John Jones as the GOAT. You can see the admiration on his face. And so now John Jones right away gets an opportunity to prove to the world exactly who he is. Now, I know this for me. When training camp starts every year, you're trying to get back into it, and that's only a few months off, and you've been training, and you've had opportunities to go to OTAs and go to minicamp. And even getting in playing shape at that time is difficult. So when you look at what John Jones will be faced with from a cardio standpoint, DC, from a feel standpoint, and like you said, octagon rust, how do you expect John Jones to counter that being that this is not a warm-up, he's jumping right into the fire. Well, he has to. Like like you said, RC, for all that he's been in the octagon. And look, man, Jones will have some experiences that no one else, that no one else have inside the octagon. Some of the experiences of fighting guys like myself, Shogun, Chael Sonnen, uh, Rampage Jackson, John Jones, Rashad Evans. He has fought a who's who of guys inside the octagon. He has fought and beaten everyone. So this guy can rely on that inside the octagon. He also can rely on his fight IQ. And that's what's going to be so important for him in this fight, in his return fight against Cyril Gaon. Because ring generalship, ring rust, all that comes into play whenever you're inexperienced. Dominic Cruz will argue that until the end of the earth. John Jones can rely on all those experiences that he's had before to guide him in his return to the octagon. Dude hasn't fought since 2020. It will yeah. be three years mm -hmm. by the time he makes that walk. But in the big moments, staring against the scariest guys or across yeah. the octagon from the scariest guys, that's second nature to John Jones. So in those areas, I think that is what is going to guide him in this fight with Cyril Gaon. And you spoke of the admiration, Ryan, how Cyril was calling him the yep. GOAT and this and this and the other. He will have to let that go the yes. moment that octagon door closes or it will handicap him as he tries to do something so special.
And speaking of handicaps, DC, I always tell people there's a reason why there's weight divisions, right? Like, I'm not supposed mm -hmm. to be fighting against Francis Ngannou. Being someone that's held the championship or held the championship belt at light heavyweight and heavyweight, what's that adjustment to heavyweight going to be like for John Jones? It's different, right? It was different for me because I did it quickly, right? I was always a bit of a heavyweight. I was a big guy. I was 250, 260. But so it was just a matter of me not getting the weight off to go and fight at 205. What John Jones has done, though is he has taken time away yes. from the sport in order to gain the weight the right way. So he won't look like a guy that just put on weight. He'll look like mm. a guy that took time, a guy that lifted weights, that took the supplements that he needed in order to make himself bigger, better, faster, stronger, and grow into the weight class. So I, I expect him to be in the 235, 240 range, uh -huh. but in the 240 range – looking strong, looking physical, uh, but not quite looking like Cyril Gaon. I mean, Cyril Gaon right. is he's as he's a muscular heavyweight as we have. Yeah, so Cyril Gaon is an absolute mutant when you look at the way he's built and then you, then you add the way that he can move. But here's what's crazy, DC. When we opened this show, you said John Jones is going to fight Cyril Gaon for the heavyweight championship. And the first thing any fan should ask is, well, is it Francis Ngannou, the heavyweight champion? Here's Dana White on why the heavyweight championship belt is vacant. You know, we've been working on a new agreement with Francis for like two years now. And uh, we had gotten to a point where, uh, you know, he was going to fight John Jones for, for the heavyweight championship. And John Jones has been willing and ready and able to fight anybody. He didn't care who it was. Could have been anybody in the heavyweight division. He was ready to go. We, we offered Francis a deal that would have made him the highest paid heavyweight in the history of the company. More than Lesnar, more than anybody. Um, and he turned the deal down. I think Francis is in a place right now where he wants, he doesn't want to take a lot of risk. Feels like he's in a good position um, where he could fight lesser opponents and, and make more money. So we're going we're gonna to let him do that. We're going to release him from his contract. We're going to give up our right to match. And he can go wherever he wants and do whatever he wants. When you listen to Dana White talk about the opportunity that Francis Ngannou had with the UFC and the fact that he's passed on it and kind of some of the reasons it seems Dana White believes Francis Ngannou made that choice, what do you see next for the former UFC heavyweight champion? I see, for Francis, a massive boxing fight. I can see him in there with Tyson Fury. And the reality is, for everything that Dana's saying, I believe that to be true. He would have made more than any heavyweight in UFC history. But even in that more, I don't think he would have made what he will make to fight Tyson Fury. But the Tyson Fury fight will be one time. Because... I don't believe Francis will beat Tyson Fury in a boxing match, so he'll get a massive payday in that one and then have to figure out what he does next afterwards. The reality is, though, he would have fought John Jones. He would have fought Cyril Gaon. He would have fought anyone in the world because he is the baddest man in the planet in terms of heavyweight fighters. He has proven that. He's as scary. He's as dangerous as anyone in mixed martial arts. And, Ryan, you said 
I'm not supposed to fight Francis. I don't, it doesn't look like anybody's supposed to be able to fight Francis Ngannou <laughs> with the way that he looks and the way that he right. fights, the power that he possesses. We have seen this guy do tremendous things. And to me, it feels like the baddest man on the planet, Ryan, is taking a chance on himself to see what his value is outside of the UFC. And I just hope at some point he comes back. But Dana said it would have made him the highest paid heavyweight fighter in history. John Jones's advisor today just went on the MMA Hour and said that his contract makes him the highest paid heavyweight right. in MMA history. So uh, maybe the UFC went and did a new deal with John after Francis turned his down, knowing that they had to salvage a part of yeah. that mega fight. Well, that's what's important is that the UFC is still a business, and you were doing business with Francis Ngannou as the UFC heavyweight champion. And when that goes away, why not work with someone as accomplished as John Jones is in the octagon and also as notable as he is whenever you hear that name? So to me, Francis Ngannou has made the decision that it's not necessarily about his legacy within the UFC or within mixed martial arts. It's about, okay, how do I capitalize on the right now? We saw him inside the ring with Tyson Fury two fights ago for Fury and that face-off and kind of what it meant and what people felt. If you can go out and get... He probably won't get a Connor-like payday, but get a payday that far mm -hmm. exceeds anything that he would get stepping into the octagon. I think that is smart 10 to 15 business. Mil, Ryan. And exactly. And that's a way to take care of your family. And even if he loses to Tyson Fury, DC, you think the next time he wants to walk into a cage, I'm not going to watch it? You're absolutely out of your mind, and he'll step right in to a position to do so. If he leaves now, though, DC, and if he never steps into the octagon again, how do you see Francis Ngannou's legacy in what was truly a short stint as the heavyweight champion? You know, Ryan, what I, what I remember Francis for is his journey, right, RC? Because this is a guy that when he was trying to get into the country, they would drop him in the desert, man, where he was supposed to die. But he never gave up on himself when he was trying to get out of Africa. He ended up in Paris, learned to fight, ended up becoming the UFC champion. It's a guy that overcame unbelievable obstacles, and I appreciated him at every step, and he always remained a gentleman to me. Yeah. He was always the same guy. He was a gentle giant, but you knew that if you're in the octagon with Francis Ngannou, you can go to sleep at any moment. That, that's what I'm going to remember him as. I'm going to remember him as a guy that got dominated by Stipe Miocic, built himself back up in the way that he did with his life, got back to Stipe and knocked him out in two rounds. That's what I'm going to remember about Francis Ngannou, all while remaining a gentleman and truly invoking fear and reminding people what the term the baddest man on the planet was and is because he looked it and he also was it every time he stepped inside the octagon. So that to me is going to be Francis's legacy. But RC, that wasn't the only news Dana announced yeah. on last weekend. He also announced that Kamaru Usman will yes. indeed fight Leon Edwards in the trilogy in London, England. News so big, Ryan, that you will go to London because yep. you're that big a Kamaru Usman fan. Bro, how big is that news? Because for a while we thought that Usman wasn't going to fight because of his injuries. He well, is in the fight. Trilogy's <laughs> on. Ryan Clark's in London, England. Big news. Well, well, the first thing is, I am a huge Kamaru Usman fan, but I'm also a Leon Edwards fan, which makes me a huge fan of this fight. DC, when we think back to what 
or to how the second fight between these two men ended, the only word I can think of is electric, and the other word that would be after that would be shocking. So I guess I could think of two words. That left, that left kick that went to the head of Kamaru Usman, that knocked the eyes to the back of his skull, was something that no one expected, came out of nowhere, and I think Kamaru Usman thought that as well. And a guy who had dominated that entire fight as a champion, for him to lose that way, I just keep thinking back to you guys sitting octagon side and John Anik pretty much missing the kick and only being able to see it or notice it because he was basically sending or speaking Leon Edwards' eulogy was absolutely phenomenal. But now they get a chance to settle that score. And they're going to settle that score on Leon Edwards' home turf. And I am so excited about it. And that's why I'm going. I can't wait. I'm going to be out there all week. I'm going to kick it. I'm going to get an accent before I come back. I'm going to tour and it's going to be capped off Saturday night by watching these two great champions because they've both been champions go to war for the third time. When you heard that this fight was finally made after kind of double dutching between who would be Leon Edwards' challenger in his first title defense, how excited were you that Kamaru Usman is now going to be the guy? ARC. Two Louisiana boys. We're going to see Buckingham Palace. Palace. We're going to see Buckingham Palace, you and me. We going out there. And D.C. and R.C. going on the road. We might yes, film sir. the show in front of Buckingham yes, Palace on them. I Let's mean, do it. That's what we try to do out there. <laughs> but the reality is this. I was excited because there's a lot of questions for me now in regards to the fight, R.C., because how does Kamaru approach this fight after what happened, because you develop a bit of an invincibility factor to you when you did what Kamaru Usman did to start his UFC career, win the championship, be on the run that tied Anderson Silva as the longest undefeated streak to start a UFC career in history. But then when you get put out like that, and in the very next fight, you fight that same guy, there's got to be some, some, some overlaying remembering of what happened inside yeah, the octagon. There's got to be some trepidation. When it wasn't just the kick, it was Leon Edwards in the first round taking him down, controlling him on the ground for the vast majority of round one, then him coming back and winning the next three rounds, and it feeling like the fight was over, and then him landing that head kick that puts Kamaru Usman out in the way that he did. There's got to be some... It's got to linger a little bit for the former champion, Kamaru Usman. And what about the confidence of Leon Edwards knowing that if he can get his shot off, he can put Usman out, but also remember that he was able to have moments in that fight, have the fight happen in London. That place is going to be bananas when those two dudes get locked inside the octagon. I can't wait, man. DC, you know, I don't I don't know that feeling, right? Like, you, you, you go into enemy turf, and that's playing in Baltimore or that's playing in New England. Mm. But you got your you got your dogs with you. You know what I'm saying? Like I'm I'm walking in there. I got Troy Palomalu. I got James Harrison, Big Ben. What is it like when you truly walk into enemy territory and when they close the, the fence behind you, you're by yourself staring at one of the other baddest men in the world? RC, for me it was for me, it was always enemy territory because they always booed me. It seemed like people were always rooting for the other guy. Shut up. It was like Everybody I never, loves you. I never Stop. really. Stop. No, Stop. RC, I'm, I'm, I'm to, you would think, you would think, RC, one place in my life I felt like the crowd was behind me, and it was in Boston of all places 
Boston. They they rooted for me like I was from there. You had to but be fighting everywhere an awful else, person. I walked out and it was always <laughs> constant booze. It was constant booze. But I ask you this, RC, as a guy that was dude, some of the hits that you had in your career, today you would get thrown out of the NFL in a lifetime ban. But <laughs> was there ever a guy that came and they hit you and it was a ring? Bang! And that dude came back again and you're like, uh, I gotta go hit him, but I know it's gonna be it's gonna be a, a bad one. No. That's what Kamaru Usman has to feel. You know what, DC? I, I think it's it's different in football because you have so many opportunities, right? In, in, in a 60-play game, I get so many opportunities, and it's okay that you might lose some, win some. You just have to win more than you lose. And sometimes a guy might hit you and run you over, but you could still grab his legs and tackle him. So it's not the same thing as what Kamaru Usman experienced. And so I believe that Getting over that shell shock is going to be extremely important for him, and I also believe difficult, because here is what Kamaru Usman will be faced with. Kamaru Usman can dominate this fight with Leon Edwards, the next fight, for four rounds and four minutes and 50 seconds. And in those last 10, yep. he's still going to have to be extremely aware. He's still going to have to be extremely alert, because it took a split second for Leon Edwards to unseat him as the UFC welterweight champion. And I believe that that mindset and getting over that mental hurdle is going to be the biggest thing for Kamaru Usman. But that won't be the only fireworks we see at UFC 286 on March 18th. We also have Justin Gaethje facing off against Rafael Fazeev in what's going to be the co-main event. And this should be absolute Fireworks. There has never been a Justin Gaethje fight that's been out of the top 10. And there's never been mm. a Justin Gaethje fight that's been boring. And we're watching Rafael Fazeev continue to climb his way up the rankings. This, seem, this, this seems to be the fight that's going to tell the world if Rafael is ready for the elite talent in the lightweight division. When you look at this fight, which, which, which promises to be explosive, it promises to be physical, it promises to to probably not be a three-rounder, what are you most excited mm -hmm. about? Just a fight. And, you know, honestly, I forgot to call Jake, but we got offered Rafael Fazeev to come on this show. Maybe we could have him next week because I want to talk to the kid about the opportunity, Ryan. You are terrible at your job. Because it's very hard to come by to get a guy who's as established as Justin Gaethje to say yes to this type of fight, to a guy that's on the up and up and – you're kind of coming off a title defeat. You have been in the big fights. You've always had the biggest names. Now you're getting a kid that's on the rise. I want to know what Fazeev feels in this moment because he called for this. But in regards to matchmaking, gets no better. Yep. You have two guys that are just 100% willing to go out there and just kind of lay it out on the line. Justin Gaethje is a kill-or-be-killed guy. And I spent a lot of time with Justin outside of his fights, outside of fight week, and... Bro, his mentality doesn't change. He's just a crazy uh, fighter who just loves being in the mix. And I know the same thing about Rafael Fazeev. This one's interesting. But this also, Ryan, is one of those fights that could be a changing of the guard. Because yeah. if Gaethje loses this one, it'll be very difficult for him to regain that place and that, that, that esteem that he holds in the lightweight division. Yeah, and I think that's what this fight is about. You remember when we would start talking about guys 
as gatekeepers. Justin Gaethje is still extremely young. Justin Gaethje is still a guy that has light, that has lightweight champion sort of talent. But right now, when we look at the top of that division, we're staring at Islam Mahachev, and we know that this dude is just absolutely elite. He's already lost to Charles Dubronx. He's lost to Justin Poirier, to Dustin Poirier, I'm sorry. And so now if you're Justin Gaethje, you got to go out and get that win. If you're Justin Gaethje, you have to go out and show people that even against the young up-and-comers, I'm still that dude that should be mentioned in these championship conversations. And so I think when, when you get to those points and when you have something to prove, that's when you take a fight like this that is risky for your career because you're, you're saying to yourself, I have to prove to myself, I have to prove to the UFC, I have to prove to the fans that I'm still that guy you thought I was before the championship defeats. But another dude who we talked about on the year-end show as having an opportunity to face some of the best fighters in the world, whether it be at 170 or at 185, was Hamzat Chemaev. And with him not being on this card, DC, it kind of begs the question, what's next for Hamzat Chemaev? Who do we see him against? When do we see him again? And how does that put him in position to fight for a championship sometime in 2023? When you start to realize that we have these cards taking place and being put together, and Hamzat Chemaev is not on these cards, DC, what's your first thought? Uh, it, 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 for me, it's a bit concerning because now we're through the first, you know, quarter of the month, quarter, right? This yeah. is March. And yeah. this isn't March 4th where John Jones is fighting. This is the end of March. So that means or tells me that Hamzat's not in the first quarter, right? What happens or who does he fight and when does he fight? Because the reality is he isn't in a position right now where he's a once-a-year type of guy. You need him in the beginning of the year. You need him at the end of the year if you want to still establish him as a guy that could challenge. For me, I don't understand why Chemayev wouldn't be in London, even if it's at uh, middleweight, just fighting someone to keep him out there. He hasn't fought since September. But you look at that. He fought in April. He fought in September. So I guess he can go two times next year, but he's not in the first quarter uh, of 2023. So... I'm looking to see where he is next in that weight class. Because with Pojeda, with Pojeda being the middleweight champion, everybody seems to be chomping at the bit. But I would like him to be back at 170 fighting against a guy like, like Colby Covington or uh, a Bilal Muhammad, now that Bilal Muhammad isn't uh, fighting Leon Edwards. Yeah, and I think that's, that's where he falls to me, an opportunity against Colby Covington or giving Bilal Muhammad that opportunity to now show and prove that he is a guy who should be spoken about getting the next opportunity, whether it's Leon Edwards or Kamaru Usman, who advances on as the welterweight contender. But DC, like it's starting to, it's starting to shape up that the UFC is, is making the fights that people want to see, and they can't find a fight for Hamzat Chemaev. So is that on him or is that on the organization or maybe even mm. the difficulty of someone accepting a fight with him? Bingo. <laughs> Bingo. Remember a couple weeks ago, RC, he called everybody beeps, expletive. He called them all expletives because nobody wanted to fight him. So it sounds like, it sounds like Hamzat Chemaev's having difficulties finding someone to say yes to a fight against him, and that's why we're not going to see him in the first quarter. But, Ryan, I know two dudes that did say yes. 
Glover Teixeira, and Jamal Hill. Yeah. And those two guys are fighting this weekend for the undisputed light heavyweight championship of the world. We have two heaviest belts in the world vacant. Saturday, hopefully this time, we get a champion. How excited are you about UFC 283 from Rio de Janeiro? I go tomorrow, RC, and I just found out I got a seven-hour layover. I mean, yeah. I might get around the golf in on my way Man, to Rio de Janeiro. Who booked your, who booked your flight? First off, on, I, I'm you know actually— who, You know who booked it. <laughs> I'm not going to put it out there. <laughs> actually, I'm excited that Glover Teixeira st- sticking to his thoughts and sticking to taking care of himself and being smart about who he fought— has afforded him an opportunity to fight for the, lev- the light heavyweight championship belt again. Um, it's unfortunate how the last title fight was scored, but in that, now Glover Teixeira gets to fight Jamal Hill, and the winner walks away as the champion. And then on the other side of this for Jamal Hill, this is like a meteoric ascent. This is an opportunity to fight for a belt, probably a fight or two earlier than anyone thought he'd get that opportunity to. So now you have the young Hill who has the explosive finishes that we've seen in his recent fights. He he takes down guys like Johnny Walker or he stands in there with guys like Tiago Santos for four rounds and eventually puts him down. Whoever wins this fight is going to be the champion, but I don't know if anybody is going to respect it because we will be waiting on Yuri Prochaska to t- come and take on the winner that walks out of this octagon. Can Glover, t- Glover Teixeira, can his experience, can his opportunities fighting mm. in these big-time events overtake the young and explosive Jamal Hill? I think that's going to be the question going into this fight or coming into this fight, and I believe it will be answered right away because I can't see Jamal Hill standing back and waiting for Glover Teixeira to make that answer for him. Well, I think, Ryan, that's that's the key, right? We'll know very early because it'll be in whether or not Glover can take him down. Yes. If Glover Teixeira can take him down early, Glover Teixeira will have a lot of success in this fight. If Jamal Hill is able to defend those takedowns and keep the fight standing, it could be a short night for Teixeira. Jamal Hill lands with so much power, and he lands from odd angles. He doesn't do things as traditional as you would expect. He throws hard. He throws from different ways, and he's a guy that just believes in his power. But Teixeira, the longtime veteran RC, goes forward. His head's moving like Mike Tyson, and he takes you down, and his top game is so heavy that it just wears on his opponent's. You said, R.C., that this fight maybe one or two earlier than we expected for Hill. If he gets taken down, we'll know whether or not he's ready. Because if he gets right back uh, up and he still stays within himself, you'll be like, wow, this kid's a lot further along than we expected him to be. But if he starts to melt, if he starts to panic, then you can really call back to what you just said. It's a little early for Jamal Hill, but there's a lot of questions I believe a lot of those questions will be answered very, very early in this fight this weekend. Yeah, when you look at when you look at this fight, I know the questions will be answered about him being ready if he's taken down early, but we also can't relax at that point, DC. We can't feel like we're the Los Angeles Chargers fighting against the Jacksonville Jaguars or playing against the Jacksonville Jaguars and we're we're up 27 by 27 points and we're just gonna let them come back and beat us and everybody scream, Duval. 
Jamal Hill has the type of explosiveness in his hands that even with being taken down early, even if he starts to wane a little bit as far as his cardiovascular preparation, he can put Glover Teixeira out with one punch. And that's why this opportunity and this fight is so fascinating to me. DC, for you though, no matter who walks out of the octagon with their hand raised on Saturday night, do you see that guy as the true light heavyweight champion, or is it still Yuri Prochaska's belt? That's the light heavyweight champion of the world because that's the guy carrying the championship. Obviously, Yuri Prochaska will walk right back into a championship opportunity, but the man holding the belt is a champion. Is the man holding the belt the best light heavyweight in the world is going to be the question. Now, if Glover Teixeira wins, I think that it's less of a question because of how close he was to beating Yuri Prohashka. But we haven't seen Jamal in there with all those big-name guys. And you also look at matchups and think those guys could present, present Jamal problems, like Magomed right. and Kalaev, Jan Bohovic. But to me, the man that holds the title is the champion. And I believe that Jamal Hill... If he wins, is the champion of the world, as is Glover Teixeira. Big fight, big stakes, and I can't wait to get to Rio de Janeiro. Because, RC, one of the best crowds you will ever experience is all the events in Brazil. And I haven't been there for a long time, but, dude, it's crazy when a Brazilian guy walks to the octagon to fight for a championship. Glover Teixeira is going to feel like he's walking on air when he steps into the octagon on Saturday night. Well, other, like, you're talking about things being crazy. You would think that if I saw something four times, like, let's say it's a great movie, and I saw it four <laughs> times, on the fourth time, I'd be like, oh, I'll watch it, but I've seen this before. Not so Davidson Figueredo and Brandon Marino are going to fight for the fourth time. And I'm telling you what, DC, I'm as excited about the fight this time as I was for the second one. Because the first one, I didn't think Brandon Marino had a chance. At this point, Davidson yep. Figueredo was flying through the flyweight uh, division like with ease. Everything he punched, I thought he broke it. Whether it was a, a face, mm -hmm. a shoulder, a sternum, <laughs> a rib. Everybody he hit, I was like, oh, he just broke, dude. And then you fight Brandon Moreno, and in the first fight, it's a draw. And I said to myself, it can be kind of fluky. You know, Davidson Figueredo's been fighting a lot. He's had these big matches. Let's see what happens the next time. Brandon Moreno absolutely dominates him and submits him. And then we go into the trilogy, and we have another absolute battle that Davidson Figueredo just edges Brandon Moreno out on the cards. So you know what we said? Oh, you know what, let's see if Brandon Moreno could beat somebody else. Let's put him in with Kai Kyra France. He's been fighting very well. Let's see what Brandon Moreno could do. Oh, Kai Kyra France is having a little, he's having a little uh, success. What's that? Oh, body kick, fight over. Let's do it again for the fourth time. This fight is this Saturday, DC. Tell me how fired up you are and what that arena is going to be like when they announce these two dudes again and they clamp that cage. Oh, you crazy. You crazy. I like that. I like the way you act. Like, you you are like that crazy dude on the corner just saying all kind of say, I like it. You big animated, too. But, dog, everything you said makes the, best, the most sense in the world. Yeah. Because it felt like when the first fight happened, we were going right back into Demetrius Johnson, right? DJ had just left, and he had dominated division. And then Davidson looked so good. You're like, oh, 
we went from one dominant champion to another right. one, right? This division can't have equal matchups. Then you went through the history of the two. Then Davidson gets a decision in Los Angeles where it's 100% Brandon Moreno crowd. Very surprising. Now we go and flip it. Now they fight where Davison is going to have the pro Davison Figueredo crowd. Some matchups just work to RC. Like, you could have two dudes fight 10 times. And every time they fight, it's going to be close. It's going to be competitive. And it's going to be fun. And what you saw in the Carl Franz fight is that these two are just better than the rest of the division. Yep. Because you saw Davison Figueredo beat Joe Benavidez multiple yep. times. And he was... As good as anyone. It just feels like these two are just better than everyone else. So they keep having to fight each other. But a lot of different factors going into this one. Brandon Moreno in the last fight and in the fight before, he had James Krause. He had James Krause in the last fight. Had helped him in the Carl Franz fight. James Krause is now banned. He is now yeah. training with Safe Saud down at Fortis in Dallas. So new coach for Brandon Moreno. Davis and Figueredo getting the fight at home, training with Fight Ready, Henry Cejudo, Eric Albaris, and all those guys. Dude, big, big, I mean, this fight here is going to be fun. It's going to be good. And it's going to be even and competitive again. But the first thing that needs to happen, RC, and I know that he has kind of, he has kind of uh, gotten a hold of this, is Davis and Figueredo has to, I want to see him on the scale because he always has a tough time getting down to the weight. But it's in the way that he looks, which tells me what type of Davis and Figueredo I can expect yeah. inside the octagon. But when you fight somebody four times, RC, you lose, it would seem like a death sentence. Yeah. But when you're still going to be second best, what happens to the guy that loses on Saturday night? That's the, I mean, I think that's the hard part, right? We, we have now gotten into, and you can tell me if I'm wrong because you know more about this than me. I feel like we've now walked into Alexander Volkanovsky, Max Holloway sort of tier, right? Where we've now gotten to that point where we're like, these two dudes are better than anyone else. You can put anyone else up against these two and they dominate. So in the fact that they dominate, what fight would you want to see the loser end? Obviously, the champion is going to continue to get challengers. They're going to continue to get opportunities to defend the belt. But if I feel like we'll always be sitting around watching Davison Figueredo dominate or watching Brandon Moreno dominate going, man, we should just watch those two fight again. And so for <laughs> me, I feel, like, I feel like the loser is almost in championship purgatory because you don't necessarily want to see it for, well, we probably would want to watch it for a fifth time, but it almost seems improbable and impossible that the UFC should ever do that again. And so now if you're the loser, you're fighting lesser opponents and hopefully continuing to dominate, but also putting your legacy and your opportunity on the line because truly you should be fighting the champion. So I don't know where that person goes, DC, or what the goals are going forward. You know, both of those guys will always have championship aspirations. I just don't know how realistic they're going to be after this weekend. When a winner is determined in a fourth fight between two guys who have reigned atop the division. RC, I, I, as I said, I, I go to Brazil tomorrow, but I'm not going to be the only interested bystander calling mm. the fights intrigued. Another guy that's going to be in Brazil 
knowledgeable, uh, just the man, Anthony Smith. It's time to go one round with Lionheart, as he is yeah. not only there as a guy that's trained with Jamal Hill, but the backup fighter for the main event in case something happens this weekend. Anthony Smith, thanks for joining us, my friend. Man, thanks for having me. You know, Anthony, I got a question for you. You're going as a backup fighter this weekend. You've trained with Jamal Hill. You obviously fought Glover Teixeira. When you look at this matchup, how do you break it down in regards to what you've seen from Jamal in the training room and being in there with Glover Teixeira? Is it as simple as I feel uh, early if Glover gets to take down Jamal may be in trouble, or is there much more to the game? DC, I, th I think it's probably simpler than that. I think the first guy that makes a mistake loses this fight. That There's no way that Jamal Hill uh, is going to survive with Glover Teixeira on the ground. And, and that's most guys in the light heavyweight division. That's not specific to Jamal Hill. But Glover Teixeira can't stand with Jamal Hill for any amount of time. He, he just can't. The guy is faster than you think he is. He's longer than you think he is. He's harder to hit than you probably think he's going to be. Uh, and he learns really fast. You're not going to be able to hit hit something on him more than once. And and that's the one thing that I took from training with Jamal Hill. It, you can surprise him one time, but if he survives it, you're not going to get it again. Uh, and, and Glover Deshaire does have a big bag of tricks. So he has a bunch of things that he can continue to go through that are going to be new every single time. Uh, but I, I'm going to sit here right now and tell you that Jamal Hill is going to be much harder to take down than Glover Deshaire is expecting. You know, Ant man, you got an opportunity to train with Jamal. And I listened to you and DC speak about Glover getting an opportunity to take him down. Even in that, though, do you, after getting to know Jamal a little bit, see him being able to be maybe controlled in the first round and still present that danger of explosive and dynamic knockout power in the second round, in the third round? Or do, does he seem like a guy that could wilt under that pressure, especially in a championship bout? No, Jamal's a dog, man. He's a dog. And, and we've seen it a little bit in the Tiago Santos fight. And uh, he, he's one of those guys that his, his self-belief is, is probably one of his biggest weapons. He, he has no doubt that he's going to go in here and win this fight, but he also has no doubt that he's going to find himself in some terrible situations. And I think that that's half the battle. He, he spends every single night and every single day knowing that he's going to end up in a bad spot and he's going to have to battle through that. And I, I think on the flip side of that with Glover, Glover has some stress, I would imagine, that if I, if I can't take him down and I can't keep him there, I'm going to have a tough time. Mm. Every round starts on their feet. So if Jamal can stay safe and he can stay at a bad spot, one takedown and losing one round is not going to be that big of a deal because every round starts back on its feet. And mm. in terms of explosive finishing, I think Jamal Hill has the advantage there. Anthony, you know, you have fought, like I said, you fought Glover. Quick question here. What makes that top pressure so hard to deal with from Glover to Shara? And second, you're glowing and so complimentary of Jamal Hill. What have you got to step in and fight to do? You already <laughs> scheduled to fight him before. <laughs> Uh, I, I don't know what makes I don't know what makes Glover's top pressure different. It's it's really heavy. It, 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 a lot of it's positional awareness. It, it, he doesn't rush anything. He he 
he almost is like an anaconda. He, he doesn't, there's not big explosive movements, even on his takedowns. He'll get to the butt lock. He'll lift, but on his way down, it's not a big slam. Kind of like we've seen in the uh, Michael Chandler, Dustin Poirier fight where Chandler has this big explosive finish. And then Poirier is able to scramble and get to a, a good spot. You're not going to see stuff like that at a Glover to share. He's going to be very controlled uh, and he's going to slowly climb his way into good spots. Um, in terms of fighting Jamal Hill, like we, we've been very honest with each other. You know, it, it, I went there and, 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 and I gave him a lot of, a lot of good looks and, and, and a lot of tips. And, and he was very, very, very respectful and, and, and very appreciative of that. And that just speaks to the type of person that he is. Um, if we got to fight. We, we'll, we'll figure it out. You know what I mean? It, it is what it is. And, and we're, I think we're just, he's, he has a very old school mentality. Like, I mean, you've wrestled and, and, and trained with guys that you're going to have to compete against later on. And you, you just figure that out when it happens. And, and he has very much that, that kind of old school mentality. One thing I hate uh, to do when we put our analyst hat on, Anthony, is try to predict games, right? And so I'm going to ask you to do something that I hate that I'm asked to do by my producer. When you look at this matchup and how everything has come about, if you had to predict a way or if you had to see a way that this fight goes, what are you expecting? Oh, man, I'm expecting... And I'm, pro- I'm probably I'm probably in the minority here, but I'm expecting that Glover's going to have a tough time with the range and the speed. Uh, I think he's going to take bad shots. I think he's going to be forced to overextend and reach. And, and I think Jamal's going to make him pay. The the things that make Jamal Hill great here's here's the problem. It's nothing that he's been taught. It, it's mm. it's who he is naturally as a person. It's his vision, his eyes, the way that he sees shots coming, the way that he sees opportunities. He's naturally accurate. He's naturally uh, fast. He's naturally smooth in his movements on his feet. And and he naturally fights at a range that makes you feel I'm six, four with a long reach and made me feel like I was way too far away. Glover Mm. share doesn't have the reach and he doesn't have the height and the ability to close the distance. Like I can. And, and I think that's going to be where the problem is. It's not so much about the takedown or the grappling or, or if he gets to a spot, I don't know that he's going to feel like he's close enough to even take a legitimate shot. Um, I, I think that, I think that Jamal is going to keep him on the outside and Glover is going to be, I think he's going to be forced to take a bad shot. And, and, and I think that that's where, where the problems are going to start for Glover. It's all the intangibles that Jamal Hill possesses that you're speaking to. And he's a great athlete, right? The guy can yeah. play basketball. He, he can do just about everything. DC? And that is what translates into the octagon. Yeah, DC, he beat yeah. you in basketball because you're not a great athlete. So we know that. Anthony's a better <laughs> athlete than you are. So it may be a little different for him. <laughs> <laughs> you know what time RC. it is, DC. You know what time it is. It's time to tap in, tap out. Like, you're away, I'm away. I don't know where the God Mike is. Jake, let us know what's happening. <laughs> All right, guys, this past Saturday, Umar Namagomedov, Habib's cousin, put on a show with a vicious first-round knockout to improve his record to 4-0 in the UFC and 16-0 overall. DC, tap in or tap out, Umar will be a UFC champion by 2024. Hey, don't ask me that. Don't ask me that because you know Ryan Clark going to say something. You know, it's, it, it, every time I got to answer a question about this, you know, Ryan got something to say. But, um, yes. Umar is going to be a UFC champion. It doesn't happen next year. Uh, I'm, oh, wait. You said 24, right? Yes. yes. By 24, yes. He will have held the UFC championship. 
so I, I tap out on this because one, we're talking about one of the most talented division divisions in all of the UFC, one that we have guys chomping at, at the bit to get an opportunity to fight for the championship. I don't know if he gets enough fights under his belt to earn that opportunity. What's up next? Saturday night, Gilbert Burns returns to the octagon to face Neil Magny. Coming off a loss to Hamzat, Burns is looking to get back into the win column. RC, tap in or tap out, a win for Burns gets him back to title contention. You know what? I don't think that gets him back to title contention in the sense that he'll be a guy talked about for the next shot. You know, you still have the Bilal Muhammad. You still have the Kobe Covetings, who I think will be above him, especially if Leon Edwards wins, wins and obviously Hamzat Chemaev. So Gilbert has some work to do, in my estimation, to get back into that conversation. I tap out. I completely agree. I think. It'll make him viable. He'll still be an option, but nah, there's still some work to be done. I think Bilal Muhammad is rightfully in a pole position in that regard uh, amongst uh, other guys, Hamza Chemaev. And so he's got some work to do, but it'll still keep him in contention. Corporate Jake. All right, guys, lastly, Benil Dariush recently called out Dustin Poirier for not accepting a fight due to Benil not being a big enough name for Dustin. DC, tap in or tap out, Poirier should accept a fight against Benil. Ooh. I, I tap in because I think we're in the same situation as Rafael Fazeev and Justin Gaethje, right? At some point, these guys earn the opportunity to stand across the octagon from the big names, the guys that have all the cachet, and Dustin Poirier has the cachet. So, um, yes, I tap in. I think Dustin should fight Benil Dariush because who else, right? He's fought just about everyone else. Yeah, listen, I tap in on it because if you're Dustin Poirier and you have that sort of cachet, you have to fight the best in the world. And I believe recently in what Benil Dariush has added to his resume, he's shown that he's one of the best in the world. And this continues to keep Dustin Poirier in that conversation for having opportunities to fight for a championship, if that's still what he wants to do. Or if Dustin Poirier says, you know what, I'm only stepping in the octagon for the huge fights, the huge names, and the huge paydays. Yeah, absolutely. That's uh, that's that seems to be where a lot of these guys, when they get to a certain point, yes. starts to think about in regards to uh their careers, and you can't really fault them for that. RC, first off, looked like you had a tremendous time in Wyoming at a wedding this week. Great Y'all was really getting down, <laughs> dog. It was crazy. And where are you right now? I'm in D.C. right now, man. Listen, I had to come here. We got the big game tonight. Dallas Cowboys, and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So we'll be airing this afterwards. My pick is the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, D.C. I'm thinking upset, and we will see. You know, R.C., that game last weekend, the Jaguars, that was the craziest stuff I've ever seen. That was about as much of a fumble as I've seen in any sporting event. But, dog, every Tuesday, wherever you get your podcast, on YouTube, also ESPN2, Midnight Eastern. Catch your boys, DC and RC. Ryan, once again, great show, my boy. Appreciate y'all, man. Y'all lock in, tap in, never tap out. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. 
Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today.